out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. Sometimes it's a musician, a band, and sometimes it's going to be somebody who's just bought a book out. In fact, it's going to be Daniel Lamar, who is the executive vice chairman of the board for Cirque du Soleil and has been in that position for several decades and also in the last couple of months has brought out a book and this is titled Balance and Acts, Unleashing the Power of Creativity in Your Life and Work, available from all good bookshops and online. This is the interview, so after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very exciting subject that was um, basically, yes, bringing this book together during a global pandemic for the last two years. Daniel, pick up the story. It's over to you. That's an interesting story because I've been thinking about it for uh, many years, and I was supposed to launch this book. Uh, and then the crisis happened. So I called the publisher and I said, I'm not going to launch a book now because uh, it, it would be awful uh, right in the middle of the crisis. And the publisher had a great idea because he said, you know, if you succeed to go through the crisis and Cirque emerge, it will make this book even more interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. So through the 15 months where we were shut down, uh, I, I, I have explained, you know, how we came across the crisis, how we have succeeded. And here I am launching yes. this. And you've obviously thought a lot about, you know, like the, the key points, because I've sort of been listening to a lot of your interviews about your seven key points to management. So these were sort of ideas that you'd developed quite a few years ago. Because I, I, I confess, I, I used to go to those Tony Robbins weekends, you know, unleash the power of five days and you sort of walked on coal. You know, you had all these kind of experiences, which were fantastic. But there was a lot of kind of interesting things and a lot of kind of cliches about burning bridges and do this, do that. But then when a curveball comes along, you wonder how one would cope with that. And you've actually had to deal with that experience yourself where you're thinking this, you know, everything's going so well. I'll write a book and I'll make it all sound so easy. And then suddenly, you know, Friday the 13th comes along and uh, March 2020, which you'll never forget. And suddenly, you know, it's a game-changing experience. So you had to, did you have to change many of your ideas that you'd already formulated before? Uh, I had to, I had to adapt it to, to, to the context. But the, the, the one thing that remained the same is when I joined CERC 21 years ago, I was quite a traditional business guy. And then I've learned working with our founder, Guile Liberté, and, and, and amazing creators such as, uh, you know, the Beatles, and then, and then working with, uh, you know, James Cameron. Uh, you know, I've, in observing those amazing creators, it changes my own life. Uh, not only from a professional point of view, but also from a personal point of view. And all of a sudden, I realized that we can be much more creative. And that's what I wanted to share. I wanted to share my learnings of 21 years working with the best creators in the world and and became almost an evangelist of of creativity uh, because I think uh, creativity is very, very important in our life. Yes, because a few years ago, or well, probably decades, I came. I went to see a guy called Michael Robbins, who constructed these things called Earth ships. They were sort of in the deserts in in America, and they were off grid. And I remember going to one of his talks, and it was really inspirational because he said 
he wanted the freedom to fail because it was only through trying things and experimenting and realizing what had gone wrong then you can try again but adapt what you've made mistakes the first time and I haven't been through school and college university everything's about succeeding especially and also I'm quite into sport as well and I used to do a lot of dancing so it was all about succeeding and passing and if you didn't you you know you might as well just give up there so you know with your own journey did you also have to you know you had to experience both the high moments and the low moments and how you came off the low moments because is that that's when you really I always find you discover more about yourself of how you recover the next morning and face the day. Yeah, yeah. In in the book, I, I'm also talking about our failures because I think it's very important if you don't want to become pleasant. You know, obviously, you hope to do and have more successes than failures, but failures obviously is part of life, and it's part of life, and it becomes positive if you learn from it. So, so, so that's why I wanted to share it uh, w- with the people. But at the same time, I also wanted to express my true belief that it's so, so important that gives freedom to the creators and give them the possibility of pushing the boundaries of, of creativity. And, and to me, uh, the most rewarding in my job was to see creators pushing us and, and challenging us and coming with crazy idea that turns out to be amazing shows for us. Yes, this is good. Because the, the, bringing together the Beatles show, which is, you know, love, which we, we saw twice. And it was interesting because for me as a punter, you're thinking, I'd love to see it again. But actually, if it's just the same, I've seen it. So then you, you obviously as a sort of marketing brand think, actually, we can rebrand, we can change it enough so that people like myself and partner can say right that's it we're going to just go and see it again because it will be a bit different so those ideas are obviously quite critical for the company aren't they but also bringing together uh, an idea like that must be quite interesting how did a show like love compare to bringing together a show like Elvis you know because Elvis is quite an interesting one isn't it yeah uh, and 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 then again uh, that's a good example because with the Beatles, we had the opportunity to work with Paul McCartney in, in particular, and, and Ringo and Yogo and uh, Yoko and uh, Olivia. And, and, and then we have established a creative trust between their knowledge of the music and our creators, uh, Dominique Champagne in particular, and Gilles Saint-Croix, their knowledge of the visual. And that was an amazing creative journey because both teams started to trust each other. The Beatles for the first time, because many, many entertainment company wanted to do a show with their music. Mm -hmm. But for the first time, the Beatles has agreed because they trusted uh, our approach. And and, and then it worked. With Elvis, uh, obviously, he he wasn't there to to participate. And And then the story became more about his own story. Uh, which I think was uh, a wrong choice uh, in terms of creative uh, uh, direction uh, because, because people are not coming at a show to, uh, to see a story uh, uh, or a biography as such. They're coming to see a spectacle when mm-hmm. they come to Cirque. 
And, um, and that's why the Beatles is working so well, because we, we weren't paying a tribute to them. We were, talk we were not talking about them literally. We were talking about the characters that they depict in their music. And that's what make it a little bit surreal in the, uh, in the visual approach of the show. Yes. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, guys, I was just kind of curious, because to be honest, I had a friend who saw the Elvis show and I thought, oh, fantastic. I love Elvis. And by the time we got back to Vegas, it had finished. And it's like, oh, that's a bit annoying. We'll have to go and see Zumanity again. So that, it was all it was all good. So then as, as sort of, as you know, with any brand, it's great having heritage and history, but it's not going to, you know, moving forward. So with, with sort of Vegas and, and Cirque, now you have brought together another show for New York, New York, haven't you? Yeah, it's called Mad Apple, and uh, and 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 again, it's a different approach. It's more like a cabaret show, and it's a blend of comedy, music, dance, a little bit of acrobatic, but it's also almost uh, an happening. It's it's more an happening than just a show because after the show, you can stay there. It turns out to become a bar. And, uh, and, and again, the idea is uh, to have an event that is very, very festive where the uh, artists and the participant to the cabaret show uh, mingle with the public at the end of it and it becomes a celebration. So I think, uh, I think it's going to bring a different uh, entertainment experience here. Yes, because it, it, is, it is kind of interesting. I mean, how much is Vegas so in, intertwined with Cirque du Soleil? I mean, you know, how much did that change? Because obviously you had the history of sort of Vegas with the Rat Pack and, you know, Frank Sinatra, Dean, you know, Sammy. Then you had the Siegfried and Roy, and then you had this kind of very glitzy thing, um, you know, which, which was all sort of, you know, showgirls. And then, you know, with Cirque, you know, it's not just the company, but it's like six shows. There's all this kind of working and ne negotiating and relationship management with all these different hotels. I mean, that must have taken the company to a completely different level. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, Vegas was, was, was a breakthrough for us. And uh, I think we also helped Vegas to become a destination. People are laughing in Vegas saying, we should call the city Cirque of Vegas. Um, <laughs> such a such such a, a huge presence but but the the creative challenge here is to make sure that if you see the six shows you have been through six different experiences and that's the challenge we have every time we come with a new artistic content in vegas we have to make sure that it's totally 100 percent different than the other shows and that's the challenge we we put in front of new creators all the time. Yes. And working with somebody like Chris Angel, what was that relationship and experience like for the company? Yeah, we're not used to work with stars. And, and Chris is a big star. Uh, and, and he has a huge brand and a huge signature himself. And uh, as much as at the beginning, we tried to match the two brands together, it didn't work out. So when we saw that, I think we took a great decision was to produce Chris and let Chris being himself. Mm -hmm. and that's why we have been able to produce that show for many, many years without trying to mix the two, bland, the two brands. Yes, I mean, it's, it must be, I mean, with, with this show, because obviously there's the, the business risk, there's also the sort of physical risk, because I think when we went to see, was it Kate? 
Oh God! It was the one where, unfortunately, the month later, somebody drops and and is um, dies basically. The show is cut. Cut. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but it was it was kind of you know for a company you know it must be quite hard to kind of navigate those kind of experiences as well to try and keep it going. Did you have to? Was there a huge amount of existential angst after a, sort of a, a a moment like that? Yeah. There was a catastrophe, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, and I remember that uh, because that was the opening night of the Michael Jackson show. So I was celebrating the huge success of MJ when someone took me apart and informed me of that fatality. And, 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 and the one thing that I've learned from that experience, because obviously what we do, uh, you know, bring a certain level of risk and we try to mitigate that risk as much as possible with having amazing security measures. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if you look at the volume of, of shows we have had, uh, there was very few uh, fatalities in our 37 years history. Nevertheless, when, when, when it did happen, uh, I remember meeting with the cast and crew and telling them, look, I'm not going to decide when we come back because this is too important. You are hurt physically and psychologically. You're going to tell me when you're going to be ready to go back and rehearse and present the show. Because I wanted to show them that it's not about money. When mm -hmm. something like that happened, you have to react with your heart. You have to react with compassion, empathy, and I think that's one of the best thing we did because then it shows not only the artist and the cast and crew from Ka, but the entire, uh, you know, community of artists of Cirque that we care. And, uh, and it's them that call us back and say, okay, we're ready to, to come back. Uh, we, want to, we want to come back. Yes. And that, was, that was a tough experience, but I'm, I'm glad the way we reacted. Yeah, my God, it was horrendous. Um, I mean, just kind of briefly, what's your own sort of, what was your own sort of journey, like your childhood, your sort of the 20s period? I mean, it's kind of always curious how people get from A to, you know, a bit further down and you suddenly run in this kind of such a global, you know, company, because you probably couldn't imagine looking back to your 16-year-old self where you would have been, you know, when you were sort of hitting 60 plus you know, in such a career. I just wonder what your own kind of childhood and, and early period of life was like. Yeah, uh, you know, for a, first of all, I, I come from a, a very, a very poor family. So I had to work early. So I became a journalist uh, to earn my studies. And, uh, and that experience helped me a lot because as you know, as a journalist, you meet a lot of different people with a lot of experience. And I've been able to observe how people were, you know, growing up in their own uh, environment. And that stimulated me to uh, later on after university to start my own business. And that's when I met Guy La Liberté for the first time. And, and, and then I became the CEO of a TV network and then all of a sudden, I received a phone call from Guy, typical guy, uh, calling me from London and saying, Danielle, I had this amazing flash. I said, what is it? He said, you're going to join the circus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was 21 years ago. 
and, uh, and, and, and then I started this amazing adventure traveling around the world with him and building this, uh, this global brand. Yes. And how did you cope with sort of the environment and community of sort of performers and clowns and entertainers? Was that something that was quite easy for you to sort of slip into that role? Yeah. Uh, in the early days, it was tough for me to learn the business model because it's very, very different. There was, there was no point of reference, no benchmark for me. The, the, interestingly enough, the business side was tougher for me to learn. The artistic one, I've always been through my life, uh, very sensitive to the artist, and I admire what they do. So I, I could see a show a hundred times, and I, neg- I never get tired because I'm always focusing on, on the level of performance, the artistic content. And, uh, and I think that's why I succeeded here, because the artist community understood that I really, really care about what they do. And it was not fake. I was, you know, when I go, you know, backstage, I hug them and I kiss them and I love what they do, uh, because it's something I could never do myself. And that's why I, I admire uh, the artists. Yes. Well, I, I do remember... Tony, Tony Robbins, the great Tony Robbins, I love to quote, you know, change your expectations for appreciation and your life will feel like a miracle, which I always think is a nice and very simple thing to say and do. And, uh, and I know that I used to come from quite a sports background and Alex Ferguson, who was the Man United manager, just said, well, you know, just saying thank you to people can make such a difference in, in acknowledging their kind of being there so he knew everybody's name from the people like the caretakers to the cleaners to the locker people you know all everybody felt valued within that organization so everybody had his back and I think creating those kind of communities and that atmosphere it means everybody is a hundred percent on it rather than fifty percent or just kind of phoning it in and not really developing it so do you feel that keeping that energy with Cirque has that been core, you know, has that been interesting or challenging or is that part of the kind of mission statement of the company? It's, it's part of who we are. Uh, and, 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 and if you've seen our show, you understand that there is no star in the show. It's a collective. We like to say to each other, the show is the star. And it shows on, stair, uh, on stage what's our ph- philosophy but it's also a philosophy that we like to embed in, in, in our values and in our attitude. And if you would work and, 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 and if you would come here in our creative center, you will feel it. You know, it's not, it's not an office building. It's a creative center. And, and, and that's why we want our people to be mobilized behind an artistic goal not a financial goal. And it's a huge difference. And, and, and you know, when you look at the terminology show business, show come first. If you have a great show, you have a great business. Yes. If you don't have a good show, you have no business. Yes. And how did you, I mean, you know, the, the, you know, one of those moments you had to have two years ago where the company changed so radically and you had to sort of lay off, you know, the staff. I mean, how did you emotionally deal with that, you know, navigate that journey, you know, 
because for me, you know, I would just be so, you know, my guilt levels, my sleepless nights would be horrendous. So I just wondered, you know, what it would be like, you know, in, in, in the circumstances that you had to be going through. Also not knowing what was really going to, how this was going to play out as well. That was by far the toughest period in my life. Uh, as, as you said, you know, the famous March 13, I remember coming back home and all our touring shows were shut down. And I said to my wife, I said, uh, you know, if Vegas stays alive, I think we're good. And then guess what? March 14, I received this dramatic call that the entire city of Las Vegas were shut down. And then I had to, and, and, and I take great pride in having a special relationship with our employees, but I couldn't meet with them. They were all over the world. And even here in Montreal, I could gather people in one room because it was then defended. You, so I had through a Zoom to tell close to 5,000 people that they were losing their job. I felt so, so bad about it. And, uh, and, but one thing I did is that even if they were not officially our employees after that, we kept in touch with them because, because I had only one focus was to you know, emerge from the crisis. And the only way we were able to relaunch our activities was to have our employees on standby, ready to go. In the meantime, they had found some other jobs because they had to survive. Mm. But we called them. They were all happy to come back because we had stayed in touch with them and, and, and told them that, you know, whenever the crisis is over, we'll call them and they'll come back. And now after going through a nightmare, you're talking to someone with a big smile. <laughs> now it's happiness because I called them one after the other to, to come back and join Cirque again. Yes. And what's it like and bringing it back and unveiling, you know, Cirque in, you, you know, I know you're touring, you know, with different productions around the world. What's it like in Vegas sort of bringing shows back and negotiating with different hotels? Yeah, in, in Vegas, it was easier because uh, most of our cast and crew lives there. So in other words, they were just waiting for a phone call and, and be ready to go. And we stayed in touch with uh, our partners as well, uh, MGM Resort. And, uh, and, and, but, but I can tell you, there was a lot of emotion. I will never forget when we reopened O. Uh, I can tell you there was a lot of tears and a lot of joy uh, and, and, and even today, every time we open a new, uh, you know, we, we bring back a new show, uh, there is a lot of emotion. Yes, uh, I would imagine. It would, it would just be just unveiling all the equipment and costumes and, and such like. Yeah, you know, it's just kind of, I just couldn't you know, imagine it. And I, I almost can't imagine what Vegas is like now, but I'm getting the idea that it is slowly coming back to normal. And obviously that, that sort of... You were sort of the signifier, you, you sort of, you know, symbolise, I suppose, the return of something that was what it was, was before. But then, you know, when, when hotels keep changing hands and different businesses take them over, how do you, do you have to then sit down and renegotiate all that? Because I believe the Mirage is also going to be changing ownership as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the good news here is that the brand is so strong that whomever the owner 
they want us. So we're lucky. Just to give you an example, when Treasure Island was sold, uh, the first thing the new owner did is he wanted to renew Mister. So Mister today has 27 years, and I just signed a deal with the new owner for an additional 10 years. So it's uh, it's, it's it's quite an amazing story. Uh, there, I don't know that many show in the world that have been playing for 37 years. So I'm very proud of that one. Yes. And is it the case then? Because because that's, you know, the thing about, you know, as I sort of said earlier, but it's always about sort of looking forward and, and you know, the history and heritage counts for sort of very little, you know, like the mob, you know, the mob and uh, the Rat Pack, you know, which was quite, you know, I found kind of interesting. Is it the case that you're always looking for the next show, thinking how are we going to develop this? I just wonder what that process is like. You know, do you, do you think, look, have we got another beat or shall we do David Bowie or shall we do, you know, I just wondered what, what, what it is that you sit around sort of thinking about when you're planning the next 10, 20 years. Yeah, we're always in the lookout all the time uh, because complacency is, is, is our biggest danger. Uh, if, if, if you think you're there, uh, it means then that you're behind. So if you want to stay ahead of the curve, you have to be able to understand what's going on in the market, uh, who are the new creators that you want to work with, who are the new artists that you want to work with. So, 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 so that's something we do all the time. We do a lot of things to stay ahead of the game, to understand artistically uh, what is going to change, uh, and also technologically, we, we're also, uh, you know, working uh, in partnership with some technological company uh, in order to understand what's going to change our world in the future. And yes, that's what we do. We're on the lookout all the time. Yes. And if you could have said something to your 16-year-old self, you know, back then, I mean, is uh, you know, with all the experience and wisdom that you've had and developed over the decades is there something that you would have thought gosh that would have been a really good thing that I knew would have known I mean I know most people say well my 16 year old self wouldn't have listened but is there something you'd have thought look even if you don't listen I'll just tell you this it might come in handy I just wondered what little bits of advice that you would have said yeah if I would have to to redo it the one thing I would say to my 16 years old is you know be more courageous, be more, be more gutsy, uh, you know, take more risk, uh, try more. Uh, because all those years with, when I've been a traditional business guy, if I would have been more creative, more innovative, uh, maybe I would, I would have ended up either with a, a, a bigger or larger carrier, but more importantly, I would have pushed my own boundaries and uh, and that's what i'm saying to young kids you know let's go you know don't hesitate don't be afraid to take risk don't be afraid to look uh, ridiculous just go for it yes keep a clan close by that's the main thing and it keep keep your clans i mean as you wrote the book i mean was it also a sense of processing and therapy for yourself at times did it did it help the experience of what we will what we've been going through in the last couple of years yeah yeah certainly uh you know i've learned a lot about uh, the resilience of the organization my own resilience uh because i remember i was waking up 
waking up every morning uh, and every morning uh, I, I was pushing the doubt that we will not survive. You know, I, I didn't want to deal with that. There's no way that we're not going to survive. So I was, I was just, as they do in sports, I was just visualizing the opening of O. And, and, and guess what? 15 months later, it did happen. But in, in a situation like that, you have to see you succeeding because if you're afraid of failing, maybe you will. Yes, this is very true. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, what you've done in Vegas has been just amazing. And I just, I love the, the Vegas story, but I love the Cirque du Soleil story with it, with it, because was it Steve Wynn that was the person who was one of the key kind of negotiators or one of the people you worked with at the very early stages? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's Steve Wynn that gave the first breakthrough uh, at Cirque du Soleil. And then later on, uh, it became uh, Bobby Baldwin, uh, who, who gave us uh, a lot of uh, our uh, other shows. Uh, and uh, Bobby was working for, uh, for Steve Wynn. And then after that, Bobby uh, took over from, uh, from MGM Resort. And those people uh, were responsible for our big success in, uh, in Las Vegas, yes. Yes, and how did you, I mean, just lastly, I mean, when, you know, because obviously it's just all, you know, such competition, how did you sort of feel when you went, oh my goodness, the win has now got La Rev? Did that feel difficult for the company or did you just think that's fine, that's just another, or, you know, everybody, you know, there's so much going on, I can't be that precious. I just wondered how that, how you responded sort of as a company and personally. Yeah, that's an interesting situation from a business and artistic point of view, because because Steve Wynn took over uh, Franco Dragon from us and produced Le Rêve, and everybody started to be scared about the success of O, and uh, and 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 so that was interesting that there was two water show in Vegas, directed by the same guy Franco Dragon, but the history now shows that the original O has never ever been matched. And Franco has done a lot of great shows since then, but he had never ever matched O, which was the original uh, water show that he did. So yes, for a while, people were uh, scared that uh, Le Rêve will take over our business from O, but uh, it worked the other way around, fortunately for us. Yes, because I know with you when doing love, because I, I sort of listened to quite a few of your interviews, it was very much around George Harrison, wasn't it? You sort of had this kind of relationship and went to this party. I mean, do you still keep um, a kind of communication with the, the Beatles and the Beatles estate to when you have to when you change it or you want to, you know, just kind of check in with Paul, Yoko, Ringo? Do, does that is that an ongoing relationship that you have with them? Yeah, totally. I was in London last week, uh, a few days ago, and uh, I was meeting with uh, with their, uh, you know, Beatles agent there, uh, Jeff Jones, and uh, we we keep each other uh, very well informed if we want to do some changes. And uh, yes, we do because it's important. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, a, an artistic partnership is something that you have to nurture all along, and that's what we have been doing. 
uh, with uh, the Beatles for the last uh, 18 years. Yes, and it's interesting because you can always put in an element of the political, social and cultural. Are you kind of aware of, of the slightly the sensitivity of those things, knowing you know what people like John and most of the Beatles probably stood for, but knowing that some of the members of the audience doesn't want to have to think about political, having a sort of hypersensitive about having a certain message given to them. Do you have to really analyze and think about those things? Yeah, but in the artistic world, again, uh, having freedom is very, very important. So you don't want to paralyze your creator by imposing too many criteria. You just want this to be organic between our creators and the Beatles. And yes, there is a ton of sensitivity involved, but at the end, the best idea should emerge, the best artistic content should emerge. And if you take the artistic view, it will work out. Yes, and it, and it will. I will. We're looking forward to going back to Vegas, but it is like, God, desperate, really. But look, thank you ever so much for your time and, and the book as well. It's been amazing and it's been amazing to speak to you as well. So thank you for this. This has been great and um, all the best. And yes, you've, you've given us the last 20 years going to Vegas something special. It's always been a Cirque du Soleil show. And then a couple of years ago, well, last year, I probably, I did an interview with Joey Arias, who was this drag person from New York. And they said, oh, yes, by the way, I would have been in that Zoomanity show. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you were the one who... Joey Arias, what a star. So um, <laughs> it was great to know that he was there and I didn't oh, yeah, even know. It. He's a great artist. I, I have a lot of time for him. I, I love him. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was brilliant. I loved Humanity. But anyway, we've got a new show. And, um, and uh, yes, we also saw The Blue Man last time as well, which was fantastic. So, um, yes, we'll give you our credit card details. It's fine. Anyway, look, thank you again. And uh, you've done an amazing job for the last couple of years keeping it going. So um, take care and all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was me, just in case you didn't realise, in conversation with Daniel Lamar, uh, the executive vice chairman of the board for Cirque du Soleil has got a new book out which is titled Balance and Acts, Unleashing the Power of Creativity in Your Life and Work. It's available from all good bookshops online and also you could go to the website which is www.balanceandactsbook.com. There you go. It's true. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe. Oh, yes. If you want to contact me, I know I always put this in. You can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 show. And um, yes, it will find your way. Your message will find your way um, from you to me. Fine. And also, um, all these uh, interviews have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Have a great week. Stay safe.